0: Good evening. Good to see you all here tonight. Thank you for coming back this evening. Tonight as we consider what does righteousness look like, we are going to consider... Responding to persecution. Last week we looked at the person of Daniel and how he responded to the persecution that he experienced and being taken captive and being transported to the land of Babylon. The way that he remained faithful to God, though no one else would have seemingly known about it, even though it did not seem as though it paid off in the past to remain faithful to God Nevertheless, he did. And, of course, it has a wonderful end to the story, how Daniel is promoted and used mightily by God. Tonight, I want us to think about the fact that the story, however, does not always end so positively. Uh, Sometimes, uh, when people are staying true and faithful to God, it actually means their death and that they are having to give their life in order to serve God. So not all stories end with, and they lived happily ever after. I think that's very important for us to keep in mind, especially in this day and age of the health and wealth gospel. Uh, There is this sentiment that as long as you are true to God, as long as you have faith, then anything that you want out of life is going to be given to you. You can be assured of happiness. You can be assured of wealth. You can be assured of health. You can be assured that everything is going to be rosy as long as you have faith and you remain faithful to God. Well, that just doesn't square with the scriptures. And so tonight we want to look at uh, Hebrews uh, chapter 11, a very familiar portion of scripture, the heroes of the faith. And usually we focus on those first verses of Hebrews chapter 11 as it walks us through a number of the heroes of faith, all of which the stories end in a somewhat glorious fashion. But at the end of Hebrews, again, we're reminded that it does not always end that way. So number one, so the theme is, a righteous person remains faithful to God unto death. Number one, there are many stories of great deliverance in the scriptures, Hebrews eleven thirty one by faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. There are so many stories given even in the beginning of Hebrews chapter eleven the story of Samson, uh, the story of Abraham, and we could go on and on. And you know the stories, and usually those are the stories that are highlighted in like Bible story books that are read to children. Uh, Sunday school classes, Uh, Daniel's a favorite, Uh, David and Goliath, you know the stories. They all end in victory. They all end in triumph. Well, number two, there are more stories of God's delivering his people than we could relate. Hebrews 11.32 says, and what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign em- enemies' armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to better life. And then this quotation. Um, Verses 33 to 34 contain nine statements about the achievements of faith. The statements appeared in three groups of three commendations. The first group of statements marked such attainments as conquering kingdoms, establishing justice, and inheriting spiritual promises. In conquering t- kingdoms, weak people empowered by faith overcame Israel's enemies. In establishing justice, Israel's leaders practiced righteousness rather than injustice. In receiving promises, Wavering human beings seized God's words and lived by them. In the second triplet, actions of endurance are rescue. Faith shut the mouths of Lion in saving Daniel. Faith quenched the fury of the flames with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. And faith escaped the edge of the sword for David in 1 Samuel 23, 19 20. First uh, uh, Samuel 23, 19-26. The third triplet focuses on positive achievements by believers. Hezekiah found his weakness turned to strength, Isaiah 38. David became powerful in battle and routed armies, Second Samuel 8, one eighteen. We could look at all of those. I'm not going to do that tonight. But rather, this is the focus. However, not all these stories end so nicely. Women received back their dead by resurrection, and now here starts the bad news. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might rise again to a better life. Many of those who were persecuted were not delivered in this life. Others suffered mocking, flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, hardships, difficulties, persecution of all times. Let me just stop and note that in that list, one of them says that they were sawn in two. And you might scratch your head at that one and wonder what account is there in the scripture of persecution where a person is actually sawed in two. To my knowledge, there is no record in the scriptures of a person who saw it in two, but the church history tells us that that was Isaiah's fate, uh, that uh, he was killed, and that uh, he was killed by actually being uh, sawed in two. And so that might very well be the reference that's found in this particular portion of Scripture. The point being, there was a lot of misery there was a lot of heartache. There was a lot of dying for the faith. And uh, if you would like to know more of the glorious examples, and they really are glorious. Uh, some incredible accounts of the grace that God gives to people in the midst of suffering. How people that were burned at the stake would just be singing hymns of praise to honor and glory to God as Uh, Those flames engulfed them. I would recommend to you Fox's Book of Martyrs, uh, a wonderful account of myriads of individuals who died in a way of which they remained faithful to God, and God gave them grace to die in a way that brought him great honor and glory. Next, others were banished from society and made to be outcasts. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. Then it says this, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destituted, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. It's an interesting statement, of whom the world was not worthy. That the world did not deserve the ministry of these prophets and godly people. We are given insight into what that means in the book of Acts. In Acts 13.45 it says this, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, meaning to the Jewish people. That was the responsibility, that they were to go to the Jews first. Even in the book of Romans, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it is the power of God and the salvation to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And so it says it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. Since you repudiated it, and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Because you refuse the word of God, therefore, you judge yourselves to be unworthy of the message of eternal life, and so we are going to the Gentiles. Uh, God, in his wisdom and justice, When people do not desire the word of God, he often removes the witness from them. If they aren't desiring the word of God, he in his wisdom and justice takes the word of God away from them. Uh, That's the book of Jeremiah, that God gives to the people the kinds of shepherds that they deserve. If they want to hear the word, they get a shepherd who gives them the word. If they don't want to hear the word, they get a shepherd who doesn't give them the word. And in this passage, where it's talking about these people who wandered in sheep and goatskins, who were destitute, afflicted, mistreated, they were banished from society. They were outcasts. Uh, the, the people didn't want to hear their ministry. They didn't want to be influenced by these individuals, and so they were banished, like in our Day to Siberia. They were, they were just put out of the community, out of the society. Well, that wasn't just persecution to them. That was also judgment on that particular culture, that particular nation, uh, Israel at that time, because they were refusing the word of God. As we think about persecution, as we think about the day and age in which we live, it's rather fearful because people don't want to hear the Word of God. And when people don't want the Word of God, it is removed from them. And even in Christendom, even in churches, there isn't much interest any longer in hearing preaching of the Word of God. And it's a frightful thought that God just may take the word of God from the United States. That just as it's been banished from the schools, uh, just as prayer's been banished from the schools, uh, we just might find that the word of God is going to be extremely rare in our uh, day and age in the very near future. That is God's judgment upon society. But nevertheless, these people, that is those that suffered and those that died, are heroes of the faith as well. Notice 1139, all these, though commended through their faith, okay, these are people of faith too. These are heroes of the faith. This is what stands in contrast to that health and wealth gospel. As long as you have enough faith, Your life is just going to be one glorious, enjoying uh, benefit. Well, not necessarily. People of faith go through hardship, go through difficulty. I think that's very, very important for you to realize so that if indeed you go through hardship and you go through difficulty, that you don't wonder what in the world is going wrong. What, where... Where is God's truth? Where is this reward that I've been talking about? There is no promise that everything is going to go smoothly for a person of faith. Their experiences of the promise of God were yet future. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. It doesn't mean that God was unfaithful to them. It just means that the promise was yet future. It was yet future. And we need to remember that many of God's promises to us are future promises. In Ephesians, the book of Ephesians begins. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and to the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ, according as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him, in love having predestinated us into the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself. But that statement, he has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Our ultimate place of blessedness is in the future. It's that future state. Uh, I spoke just a couple of Sunday, uh, uh, Sundays ago in, in uh, my Sunday school class on the great psalm that says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. But that deliverance is not always in this life. That deliverance is ultimately in the life to come. And that is what we need to keep our focus upon. That's what we need to keep remembering, that Though people may take our lives, they can't take our souls. Uh, They can't bring about everlasting destruction upon us. So these promises are yet future. But number eight, their sufferings were not in vain, but were purposeful for future generations. Since God had provided something better for us, that they, apart from us, should not be made perfect. So, God had something better in store for us. And because God had something better in store for us, they were not yet made perfect. They were not yet given all of these spiritual blessings. You see, because these spiritual blessings aren't going to come until after we die, and then ultimately... In the new heaven, the new earth, after the Lord Jesus Christ returns, establishes his kingdom, and uh, creates the new heaven and new earth. Uh, But God wanted us to share in that, and so they needed to go through sufferings for our benefit. Just think about the Lord Jesus Christ, who's going to be this example in just a few verses. But think about Jesus He suffered. He died for us. We need to realize that uh, God's kingdom is advanced through the suffering of his servants, even as Jesus advanced the kingdom. That through his sacrifice, many people have experienced eternal life. Now we can't die for people in the same way that Jesus did. Our death is not going to be effectual in removing people's sins. But yet God uses our death, uh, our suffering, our hardship to be an example, to be an encouragement, to be a help, to be a conviction to others that in the way in which we die, uh, many people can be brought to faith. Uh, Perhaps you're in a hospital bed and you have an opportunity to speak To the person who's in the bed next to you. Like two thieves dying on the cross. And the one thief turning and being repentant. At the same time rebukes the other thief. For mocking Jesus. For he says we are receiving what we received justly. But this man innocently. It is a tremendous testimony. To in times of suffering to commit yourself unto a faithful God whose purposes are beyond our understanding and simply to submit to God's purpose, whatever that may be. I've been reading the book of Ecclesiastes, and it says that uh, one of the uh, things that we must do in life is to accept our lot. And it uh, Predicated upon the Old Testament practice of dividing up the land by lots. And the idea here is that each of us have a different purpose in life. God has given each of us our own lives to live, our own responsibilities, our own duties. Uh, some are going to be delivered, some are going to experience hardship and difficulty. It's our responsibility to accept what God's will and perfect desire is for our life, and just to remain faithful to him. The point being that that is a life of faith. That is responding to God in faith in the way in which we should. Number nine. We are to follow the vast example of the people of God who continue to endure hardship and persecution. Therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. My purpose is not to exegete these verses in their totality tonight, but simply to make overviewing, arching comments And um, observations. Uh, The observation from Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 is that we have many, many people that we can look to. There's this huge cloud of witnesses. Uh, The witnesses here, not so much that they're looking down upon us, although that is probably true. But the idea is that uh, examples that we can look to. And one of the things that we are uh, to look to their example is the way in which they ran the race with Endurance. And the race here is the word for a marathon. Life is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's not about how well you start, it's about how well you finish. It's about remaining faithful to God to the very end. That requires Endurance. Endurance. It doesn't require a lot of speed, but it requires a lot of endurance. I was a distance runner. I was a distance runner because I was slow. Okay? Uh, I was painfully slow. Okay? I wasn't quick, I wasn't speedy, I wasn't fast. So the only way that I was going to be able to compete when it came to running is it had to be long distances. And the key there was just endurance. It was just keeping on. It was, you know, if you're a distance runner, you know what it's like. You get the, you get the uh, side stitches, and you got to run before, uh, to the point where those side stitches go away. Then your lungs start to burn, and you got to keep running until your lungs don't burn anymore. Then your legs burn. And you got to keep running until your legs... Don't burn anymore. It's all about endurance. It's all about putting up with pain and hardship and difficulty. The Christian life is a marathon. And so often, people start off sprinting, dedicated, faithful, and then hardship comes, then difficulty comes, then trial comes, and they become disillusioned or they become discouraged, or they become weak, and they have a tendency to drop out of the race. They have a tendency just to stop and watch as the other runners go by. But we are called upon to a life of endurance. A life of endurance. Our ultimate example and source of help is Jesus himself. Hebrews 12.2, Looking to Jesus, the founder of and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We are to look to Jesus. As we look to Jesus, we are to be reminded, first of all, that he is both the founder and perfecter of our faith. That is that he begins our faith, and he is the one that is going to bring our faith to completion. Philippians, he who has begun a good work in you will perform it to the day of Christ. Faith is a gift. So is endurance. And so we continually look to God for that endurance, for that help, for that grace to be able to continue on even in the midst of hardship and difficulty. Who for joy that was set before him endured the cross. Back to this word of endurance. He endured the cross. If we are to think that faith is always rewarded with deliverance, or faith is always rewarded with happiness, or wealth, or whatever other quote-unquote blessing you want to put into that picture, just be reminded of Jesus and his life. Jesus is described as a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jesus knew a life of grief. Jesus said the foxes the uh, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man has not a place to lay his head. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a borrowed donkey. Then he went on a donkey. When you think about Jesus life, when you think about hardship and difficulty, when you think about the end of his life, he died on the cross. okay? If you want to think about a person who deserves to be rewarded, if you want to think about a person who had faith, if you want to think about a person who demonstrated commitment and loyalty to the Father, it is certainly Jesus. But Jesus' life did not end up the way that people in the health and wealth gospel expect life to end. So we're to learn from Jesus. Just because we know sorrow, just because we know suffering, doesn't mean that we're out of the will of God. It doesn't mean that God is displeased with us. It doesn't mean that God isn't faithful. It doesn't mean that he doesn't hear our prayers. It means that God has a reason and a purpose that sometimes we are able to understand and other times that we are not. But what we find in the example of Jesus is that He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And that's what kept Jesus going. That's what kept Jesus faithful and true to God in his humanity. He looked beyond the cross and saw what the cross was going to accomplish. Take the word cross out of there and just put the word death. In there, Jesus looked beyond his earthly death and thought about what was going to result from that death. So too, we have to learn to look beyond our earthly death and look at what is before us. Look at the joy, look at the delight, look at being in the presence of God, look at hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And to realize how being faithful unto death is going to be meaningful for the generations to come. Your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your neighbors, your your fellow congregants, uh, the people of God, as you remain faithful unto the end. What a blessing that is going to be to them. So in reflecting upon Jesus and seeking his help, we will be renewed. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So you won't become tired or fearful. Those are the two dangers that are before us when it comes to this idea of persecution. You won't be tired. Just get to the place where you give up. Just say, I can't go on any longer. I I can't put up with this. Uh, I just can't bear it. Well, we've got to go to Jesus, who is the perfecter and finisher of our faith, and ask for His strength, ask for His help, or to grow faint-hearted, which means that we become worried or fearful, uh, and give up as a result of being worried or, or f- fearful. Um, Jesus teaches us not to fear the one who can take our life, but to fear the one who can take our soul. And then to remind ourselves of this. None of us has had to give our life to the persecutors thus far. Hebrews 12.4, in your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. There are those that have. There are those that have. But the idea here is just to reflect in whatever you're going through. No matter how difficult life is, and life can be pretty difficult, and I'm not in any way trying to minimize the difficulties of life. But the reality is, if you're still alive, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. You haven't yet paid the ultimate Price. You have not yet suffered the ultimate suffering. Sometimes I, I run into people, and life is difficult for them, and it is hard. And they'll say things like, "I feel like Job," or "I feel like you know God has abandoned me," or "God has has left me." It's important to remember and put our suffering in some kind of uh, perspective. And I think that the tendency is to look at people who have it far better than we. Well, sometimes we need to look at people that have it far worse than we. And uh, as we look at Christians around the world, as difficult as America may be, we're probably in the best place that Christians could be. I can't imagine a better place to be exercising our faith today than right here in the United States. And remember, we have brothers and sisters around the world who are shedding their blood, who are sitting in prisons, who are being beaten, we are being threatened, whose children are being executed in front of their eyes. This world is filled with suffering and misery and hardship. Let us go home and first of all, thank God for the freedoms we enjoy. Thank God for the blessings that we have to be able to worship freely and without fear. Let's continue to pray that we would continue to know those freedoms and experience his good pleasure to allow us to have those freedoms. And then secondly, may we also pray that God would give us the grace to go through whatever it is that we're going to have to go through in this life. Uh, That we might serve God faithfully to the end. It may not be persecution, but instead it may be cancer. And we may have to wrestle with painful days, difficult days, trying days. And we need to be a people who don't give up, who aren't disillusioned, who don't think that it always ends well that we just die in our sleep. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. Heroes of the faith sometimes delivered in this life, sometimes not delivered. May we purpose in our hearts and minds, may we pray to God to make us faithful to our dying day. May we end the race Let's pray. Our Father, help us to live our life to your honor and glory. Give us grace in whatever it is that we may experience, whatever you're going to call upon us to do. May we remember that our lives are not lived just for our enjoyment, but our lives are lived to achieve your purpose and to help your people. May we be an example May we be a source of encouragement to others. May people be encouraged in their faith by the way in which we respond to the hardships and difficulty in our life. O Lord, achieve your purpose through us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed.